The following audio is from the chapel at Fishhawk. More information about the chapel at Fishhawk is available at www.thechapelfh.org. Because today we're talking about, we're looking at Jesus encountering the Sabbath once with his disciples and once inside of a synagogue. And Jesus is going to break down religious rules that religious people have put on top of the core and the heart of who God is. So I thought, you know, I need, to, I need to break some church rules today. So I didn't wear my button up. I wore a t-shirt and I wore a hat. And it feels weird. I can't see you guys. The hat. That's better. Okay, good. I'm glad you like that. Because Jesus is going to go in into this very religious culture and he's going to shatter their way of thinking when it comes to what the Sabbath is. In the stories that we're going to read today, Jesus is going to uh, do two things, and I made up these words, so don't judge me, English people. Jesus is going to show us his lordness, and then he's going to show us, and this one sounds really bad, really don't judge me, English people, his Sabbathness. That, that we have to come to know Jesus for the Lord of all that he is, and we have to understand that he is the true and better Sabbath, the eternal rest that our heart is longing for. So we're going to pray and then read from Mark chapter 2, 23, but let's pray as we kick into this. Father, today my prayer is that when we leave here, it would be a group of people who are in love with you more than they were when they walked in. A group of people who are living for Jesus and Jesus alone. Lord, I ask that you would help us to self-examine the religious rules that are in our own hearts. That you would teach us about the relationship that we can have with you that is not bound by some of these externalities that we've thrust into this church culture. Lord, wearing a hat to me feels so weird, and, and it shouldn't. So I pray that you would break these chains, that you would show us and teach us how we can be rested from the weariness of spiritual grinding. Lord, show us how we can finally find peace and jump off that ladder of trying to earn our way to heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. One Sabbath, he was going, Jesus was going through the grain fields. And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? You see, the Sabbath existed from the beginning of creation. And, and now the Pharisees had added a layer of rules around the Sabbath. And we all do this in every church. The reason I'm wearing a hat is to remind myself, this, the way we dress a certain way is because it's a rule that we've added on top. Raise your hand if you grew up in a culture that did Sunday best. You remember the Sunday best? Okay, now think about this. I want us to just think critically about this. We wore our Sunday best to impress God, to give him the best that we had. <laughs> like, like God's up in heaven. Okay, let's see how many guys are coming in with their poorly tailored men's warehouse fall sale suits. They look good, a little baggy, but I'll show up today. Isn't this so weird when you say it that way? Or like God is like looking like, okay, let's see. I'm only going to show up and change lives if the women have the right floral printed dress and they, if they have a hat, they better be having some silk flowers on that hat. But we do it. 
We add these weird rules, and, and now we laugh because we're like a non-denomination church. My grandfather, though, the first time he ever saw me preach, I was wearing probably something similar to this, but a button-up like I normally wear. And he, was, he grew up Catholic. He went to Jesuit school when, in the Philippines when he was growing up. And, uh, and when he saw me, he goes, don't you, is this what you're going to wear? I was like, yeah, you don't want me to go naked. He said, no, don't you have like a robe? I was like, Grandpa, I know that I'm Filipino, but I'm a tall Filipino. A robe would be like up to my knees. He goes, but what about a collar? Are you going to wear a collar? I was like, Grandpa, I don't, I don't need a collar. And he said, aren't you a priest? I said, no. And now, obviously, like, thank the Lord. Come on. If you can't, if you can't bust on that, that's bad, man. You should bust on that. It's busting. There's these things that we put these externalities of rules and that's what the Pharisees are doing because they had set up all these things like don't, don't even pluck grain because that's working because farmers do that for work. So if you do that, then you're working. So you can't do that. Don't walk a certain distance from your house. Don't, don't do anything. Don't even heal, as we're going to learn in the next story, because healing was what some people did for vocation. So you couldn't even heal someone on the Sabbath. Man, I like, I like it when Jesus and religious people collide. He says, verse 25, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how they entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence. They ate the holy bread, the priestly bread. It was not lawful for any but priests to eat. And also he gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, this is key, the Sabbath, Jesus says, was not made for man. The Sabbath, sorry, was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man, that's Jesus' favorite nickname for himself, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now, six months ago or so, we talked about taking a day off. I gave everyone the homework assignment, go to the beach, leave your phones. Two percent of you did it. I was disappointed. He said, I can't do it. I can't take a Sabbath. Today, we're, we're not going to talk about the practical workings of the Sabbath, but what Jesus is getting at, because in the very next story, it just goes in again, verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 1, again, he, Jesus, entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath. They were trying to catch Jesus in something to bust him. Verse 3, he said to the man with the withered hand, knowing that they're all watching him, come, come here, come here. <laughs> is it lawful? to heal on the Sabbath. And he just, you could feel Jesus looking at religious people. Is it lawful for a pastor to wear a hat? Would it have been even weirder if I wore shorts and flip-flops? Some people might not come back if this was their first Sunday and they grew up a certain way. Some people need the pews. Some people need the hymns. And guess what? I love pews. My first job, I slept on pews like crazy. As a matter of fact, the last job, sorry, Bonnie, she's my boss from the last church I was at, she flew from California just to hear this message. At Glenkirk, I must have slept on every pew in the balcony because nobody ever came up there. One of my mentors said, if you ever need rest and you want to give the Lord your best, you go take a nap under your desk. But I couldn't do that because people would peek through the window. This idea that Jesus is, is looking at religious people, saying, are you listening, religious people? It's not about the pew. It's not about the dress. It's not about the rules you have around the Sabbath. There's something deeper here. And he says, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or do harm, to save a life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked 
around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, get this picture in your head. Jesus is, he's being tested by them, and he's like, I'm going to test them back. Is it, should I do good or evil? Should I bring life or, or harm? And they say nothing. They say nothing. And it says Jesus got angry and grieved. So then he just looks at the man and says, stretch out your hand, knowing that the religious people were thinking that we got him. He's breaking our law. He's breaking the rules. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out immediately and held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. Now, with two passages about the Sabbath, you're thinking, I could use some rest. And today, while we'll, we'll skip along this topic, there's something deeper that Jesus is getting at. Because if Jesus only wanted us to take a day off, why not just do what the Pharisees wanted to do? Add some rules, do nothing on that day, because that's not what the Sabbath is about. The heart of the Sabbath, the core of the Sabbath is something deeper than just a day off a week. It's, di- it's deeper than simply saying, I won't answer my emails. It's deeper than just saying, I'm going to have a day where I can nap. There is an exhaustion that is upon us, and there's an exhaustion that is very, very present in these stories of religious people, and in the very end, we find irreligious people are grinding away spiritually to try to earn the approval of others, to try to earn their way into God's favor, and Jesus will have none of it. The Sabbath rest that I want us all to find today is rest from the exhausting way that we are all constantly on our toes Is this person going to like me? Am I going to make this person mad? What can I do to make this person happier? And we're living for the approval. We're living to to make other people think more highly of us. And Jesus says, there's another way. But before you get to that, you have to understand the Lordness of Jesus. Before you understand that he is the true Sabbath rest, you have to understand who he is. And I think for as much as churches talk about this, we, we can't wrap our minds around it. When we think about the universe and the galaxies that are, that are hurtling through the universe and the hundreds of billions of stars in each galaxy and all of the laws of physics and all of the, the aspects of just our created world, that there's not a bird on a branch anywhere that God doesn't know where it's at and what it's doing. There's not a lizard creeping through an Amazon forest leaf where God's like, I didn't see that one. There's not, the Bible says there's not a hair missing or present on your head that he has not accounted for. And at this church, we're prime time. Like our average age is in the 40s, which means a bunch of us guys, we are losing hair right now. Not only that, I hear that when pregnancy happens, crazy stuff happens to the girl's hair. And God's like, there's 900,994 to, lost one, lost one, lost one. If I preached a message on the rapture, I could bald three of you before we left the building is worrying you out. God knows this all. God has every planet, every star, every solar system, every migration tract of the blue whale, everywhere that that animals go to islands for this season and fly. He's governing it. He's moving it in his sovereign will. And then God said, I'm going to show up in a form of Yeshua. And Jesus has this amazing self-awareness. When he says he is Lord of the Sabbath, He's not just making a statement like, oh yeah, I'm the, I'm the ruler, I'm the bad member jammer of this. He's saying, I made this. I made the Sabbath. 
And Jesus has so many of these like sort of offhanded remarks as he's just walking around. Here's some of my favorites. I just love them. When I see these in the Bible, I'm like, oh, Jesus is just juking these people. Here's my, one of my favorites. Jesus is tell, talking to a group of people in Luke 10, 18, and he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. First century, 30-year-old guy just walking with his buddies, doing some teaching, miracles, healing. And he says, oh, yeah, yeah. I saw, I saw Satan fall from heaven before the material universe was created. If I said that to you, you'd be like, someone call Pastor Ryan a therapist. He thinks he saw Satan fall from a mountain. You would put me on medication. But Jesus says even crazier stuff in Matthew 23, because remember, he's alive hundreds of years after the prophets of God, and he's talking to the Pharisees. He's busting on them. And he said, therefore, I sent you prophets. I sent you prophets and wise men and scribes, and you didn't listen to them. Wait, what? Jesus says, I, I said, you know those guys that lived 700 years ago? I sent them. You know that Sabbath thing from Genesis? I made that. You know the waters that are around this world? I spoke them into existence. You know the stars in the farthest reaches of your eyes can't see? I flung them there with my will. And now I'm here in a five foot eight Jewish body in the first century. And I'm Lord. We, we just don't get it. It's interesting. You may have not realized this, but in the Old Testament, the prophets always say a very familiar phrase that some of you will know, and I'll say it in the King James just so you can finish it. Thus saith the Lord, you all know that. You know what's interesting? Jesus never said that. He said, truly, I tell you. He, he didn't speak on behalf of God. He spoke as God because he is God. Now, if you don't get Jesus in this way, if you're like, oh, he's probably just a good teacher, my first question is going to be, do you, do you know what he taught? Because he taught that he saw Satan fall from the mountain. He taught that he is the I am the, the I am that I am. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am that I am. Before Abraham was, I am. Hint, if you don't know that story, who did God say he was when Charlton Heston asked the burning bush? Sorry, Moses. I am that I am. If you don't get this, then this whole eternal Sabbath thing will be lost because in this moment, the Lord, the I am, the creator and sustainer of all, he's saying, your religious ways, Pharisees, are broken. He's saying, you've put rules and regulations that are missing the heart of what Sabbath is. Now, religion, it's a, it's a tough one because we're all religious. And by religious, I'm going to give you a few definitions. One religion that I've said many, many times, religion says... I obey, therefore I am accepted. The gospel, which means good news, the gospel of Jesus says, I am accepted, therefore I obey. And they are very, very different. They might sound similar because it's just a flip-flop of words, but one is trying to earn your acceptance and the other one is that it's given to you. And Jesus is dismantling the religious people. You see, we're all bent toward religion. We're all bent to try to be what the Bible calls self-righteous, but let me just phrase it in regular old English. We're all, we all have a tilt toward living in a way that tries to make ourselves, our lives right with our own strength. This is what we also call sin. Instead of leaning on God, we look to something else to be our God. 
Instead of looking to him as our greatest treasure, we treasure something else. Instead of looking to him to be our security and our provider, we look to something else to be our security and provider. It's a bent that we all have. And I couldn't think of a way to do it other than just with a table. So this is how we're all born. Many of you think that morality is choose good, go this way, choose bad, go this way. But that's not how we're born. We're actually born like this. This is good, and this is bad. This is living by faith and trusting God. This is living, trusting ourselves or others. This is living for the, uh, in the faith and reliance that Jesus was enough. This is saying that I need somebody to like me. I need to prove myself through my work, through my family, through my sports, through whatever it is, through my likes on social media. If I just get enough, then I'll make it. Then I'll be worthy. Then I'll be accepted. We do this in and out of religion. The very last verse of our text this morning says something very telling. It says that the Pharisees went and got together with the Herodians. And they said, together, we've got to destroy Jesus. Now you're like, oh, that doesn't make any sense to me. Let me put it in a way that will baffle your mind. It's like saying the Republicans got together with the Democrats and said, we are going to destroy this person. United we stand. Could you imagine? Could you imagine? Like last election, during the presidential election, I had to do counseling for people because one was a Hillary and one was a Trump supporter. They're like, we need help. I was like, yeah, you do. And it's not how to get along with this. It's how to just leave this where it belongs. The, the Pharisees were the moralists. They were the rule keepers. They had the checklist. They had the boxes. They had the rules on top of rules. And they thought, if I keep these rules, then God will favor us. The Herodians were political players. They just succumbed to the Roman culture and said, we're just going to live like the Romans live. We're going to maneuver and get political power. But both groups said, we got to get rid of Jesus. Because Jesus said, it's not about your moralism, Pharisees. You can't keep enough rules to get up this table. And some of you here are trying. Some of you here are desperate. It's like this. Let me take my phone case off because it's grippy. Here's you. Here's you trying to make your way up to get the approval of God. You could try. You might get part way up there, be pretty decent. But eventually, we all creep toward self-righteousness and cracked screens. <laughs> we all are pulled down here because the human heart is drawn to religion. The human heart is drawn to, if I do good enough and obey enough, then someone will love me. Even in here in Christianity. If you don't believe me, look at your prayer life. Our prayer life reveals so much about us. If you only pray to God, for example, when your life is in distress and when your life is going good, you kind of just forget about him because it's going good. I got my paycheck. People are healthy. That might be telling you that, that you only approach God as a, a sort of cosmic genie to dispense good things to you when bad things are outnumbering the good things. Your prayer life will reveal that you don't actually believe that Jesus is Lord. And not only that, that he came and lived in the flesh to die for you, to free you from all of the worry and anxiety. That's another thing, worry and anxiety. You know what worry and anxiety? They rest right here at the bottom of this table. The reason we worry, the reason I worry, the reason I have anxiety at times is because I think that if I could just do something, then I would control this situation. But who is truly in control? It's not Ryan Tyrona. 
Starts with a J, rhymes with Jesus, last name, not Christ, but people think it is. There's this draw to control our lives. It's trying to be our own God. And many of us are doing this, and it is exhausting. Many of us are drawn to religion, and we can't, we can't embrace who Jesus really is. I, I love how N.T. Wright puts this in thinking about the, how shocking it is that, that God became man. He says, how can you live with the terrifying thought that the hurricane has become human and the fire has become flesh, that life, capital L, life itself, has come and walked in our midst? Christianity either means that or it means nothing. That, that the God himself came and walked among us, it means all of that or nothing. It is either the more devastating disclosure of the deepest reality in the world, or it is a sham and nonsense. Most of us will be unable to cope with saying either of those things. We won't say that, yeah, he is God, and I need to just throw everything to him. He deserves it all. I bow before him, and I say, command me, Lord, because of all you've given to me. Or many of us won't do that, but we also won't say it's a sham, it's nonsense. Some people will. Most of us, especially here in church gatherings, we live somewhere in the middle. Somewhere in the middle between, I know I should give Jesus everything. I'm not going to say he doesn't exist because lightning and stuff. And here in Tampa, that's no joke. We just, we get caught up in this middle place. And, and we like what Jesus says, but do we want to believe he is who he said he is? That he is the Lord of the Sabbath. That there's something about Jesus that when we come to him, Well, you guys know the verse, many of you. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He's not talking about, I will give you a day off. There's something intrinsic about knowing who Jesus is, the Lord of all, and coming to him and finding deep Sabbath rest. See, the Pharisees, the moralists, Jesus says, you can't can't reach God by checking the boxes. And it's exhausting. The Herodians, the the people who are the self-discovery, go with the culture, make your own rules. Jesus says, no, no, there's a rule, but it's not like the Pharisees' rules. There's a cosmic standard and a cosmic relationship that I want you to enter into. Don't be your own God. Come to the true God, me. And they both said, we got to kill him. Jesus strategically goes back and forth. And John Chapter 3, he goes to a man named Nicodemus, a religious leader, and says, you've got to change. Your religiosity is not going to save you. It cannot change you. And then in the very next chapter, he goes to the woman at the well who had had five husbands and was sleeping with a man who wasn't her husband now. And he says the same thing to her. You have got to change. What you're doing cannot save you. The meaning you're looking for cannot save you. I remember years ago, 2008, there was a young girl, a youth pastor, and, uh, and I was sharing the gospel, and, and she came up afterward just distressed. And you know, like, <laughs> I love this because I got a, a 10-year-old in a couple weeks. My son's turning 10, my oldest. You know that weird age between, like, 10 and 13 when all the kids just look ugly? <laughs> like, straight up. Like, their ears grew and their front teeth grew, but their head shape didn't grow. And you're just like, dang. Like, I hope that puberty does something with that. It happens. Um, my son's heading into that age. You know, it's going to be funny. I love it. 
this girl was uh, right there, prime, like, I don't know, 12, 13, but just awkward. And this is back in 2008. Some of you guys remember, remember that emo thing where people would do their hair short, black, like they were the offspring of vampires? And she was, she was crying because I was telling her, Jesus loves you. It doesn't matter what other people think. It doesn't, you're accepted and loved by Jesus. You don't need anything else. And she came up and she just said, you know, I know that Jesus, I, get, I hear that. I just want a boyfriend. My first thought was, you ain't going to get one in these years. <laughs> no, that wasn't my first thought. Sidebar, she's turned into an amazing woman. She's dated. She grew out of that pre-tween phase. But, but it was so telling because in talking about how Jesus gives us security, how Jesus gives us worth, how Jesus accepts us, not because of us, but because of what he did. She just said, I, I hear that, but I need a boyfriend. What, what's the... What's the boyfriend thing in your life? What is it the thing that you're saying, if I have this, then my life will have meaning? We're adding on. We're making these weird spiritual chases that don't lead us anywhere but to exhaustion, exhaustion of our soul. It's interesting because <laughs> both of the approaches of, of moralistic people or relativistic people, they both lead to self-righteousness. Both, both of them. They lead to, I'm going to be made right by the things I am doing, not by God. <laughs> the moralist says good people are in and bad people are out. The secular, humanist, self-discovery people, they say the progressive, open-minded people are in and the bigoted, judgmental people are out. <laughs> self-righteous people. I love it because we all think, we, uh, self-righteous right here, we think, I'm so much better than everyone that thinks they're better than everyone else. <laughs> like, we would never say that. But that's what we think at the voting booth. I can't believe someone can't see the way I see. That's what we thought, no matter what side you landed on a couple weeks ago with the Supreme Court shenanigans. Like, how do they not see? He is bad. No, how do they not see? She is bad. If they could only be as clear and thinking and wise as me, because I am so humble. We don't say that, but that's what our actions and our attitudes are. Jesus says there's a different way. See, if, you, if you're a moralist, you'll be self-righteous because I kept the rules. If you're a self-discovery secular person, you'll feel self-righteous because you're like, I make the rules. And Jesus says, I am not on either of those. There is a rule I am him. Come to me and find rest from all of this ridiculousness. Come find rest from this grind to be self-righteous. Come find rest from this need to prove yourself. Come find rest from this need to control your own life. Come find rest because your soul is weary. If you are a Christian here, remember that Jesus lived the life that you should have lived. And then he died the death you should have died. And you are made right and accepted and loved. You are freed from the cycle of religiosity by faith in Jesus alone. Nothing more than faith in Jesus, nothing less. Well, no, no, no. Once I become a Christian, I need to read my Bible. If I don't read my Bible, will God still? Yes, God will still love you. Should you read your Bible? Yes. Reading your Bible is good. It enters you into a relationship, though. It's not an end to itself. Should I serve the poor? Yes. Serving the poor won't save you. You could give your whole life serving the poor. But being apart from God, 
You might be doing that to try to earn God's love. You might be doing that to feel like a better person. I'll tell you what, we are all bent this way. And the only way that the table of our life changes is not by our own effort. It's not by us saying, I'm going to claw up this uphill battle. It's by us saying, Jesus, I can't do it. Because it's not the good are in and the bad are out. It's the humble are in and the proud are out. It's those who recognize their need for a Savior are in. And what happens in that moment is that Jesus picks up your life. And he lifts it up. And he lifts it up. And he begins to change the way you think. And change the way you act. And change the way you love. Slowly but surely. And this isn't propped up by by you. This is propped up on the cross of Christ. And the more you see how much Jesus loves you, the more that the cross will be enlarged in your life, the more that this will be lifted up till the day when at last he returns and he wipes away sin forever. I want us to be free today. I'm exhausted of watching exhausted religious people. I'm not saying it's you, but I am, and it's me. This thing that makes us see ourselves as better than others or this thing that makes us see ourselves, maybe you're the other side, the self-deprecating, I'm no good, I'm nothing, then you don't see yourself as Jesus sees you right now in this moment. Because if you put your faith in Jesus, you reach the second level of what Sabbath is all about. It's not about a day off, ultimately. Because God created the world, and on the seventh day says God rested. Why did God rest? Like, was he wiped out? Whew, that was a tough one. After the entire universe, oceans, mountain, I made a little doll out of mud and breathed into him, and I'm wiped. I don't think so. God rested because the work was finished. He looked what he created and said, it is good. It's complete. We must work to a point where what we do is complete, and then we rest on the seventh day. That's how the physical aspect works. If you work really hard, you feel really good about what you've done, it is way easier to rest, right? Let me put it more practical way. You empty out your email box to zero emails. Ooh. On those Fridays when I take that day off, I sleep like a boss. I know if there's emails lingering. I know if there's messages that I'm like, I think someone sent me a message somewhere and now in this crazy world we live in, I've got to go search everything. Like, is it Instagram? Is it Facebook? Is it this? Is it that? I've got to find where they messaged me. It's exhausting. But when you're all caught up, the work is finished, you can rest. There's a place where Jesus says this. On the cross, he died and said, it is finished. It is finished for you and for me. The work of trying to earn God's love is done. There's nothing that you have done. There's nothing that you are doing right now. There's nothing that you will do that can exempt you from the love of Jesus if you come to him by faith alone, saying, I trust you. You are my Lord. All of this that you are, the I am, I will follow you no matter what. I don't need other people to love me. I don't need other people to think of me a certain way. I don't need to prove myself at work or make a certain amount of money because I have you. It's a big change. But this is what Sabbath rest is pointing to. The fact that we can rest in the completed work of Jesus. And it is so freeing. It's so freeing to not care because you know that Jesus cares with everything in him. And it's not that I'm being apathetic, but literally, I have nothing to prove to anyone here. Nothing. I have nothing to prove to my wife, 
I don't need her to love me. It's nice when she likes me and loves me. Let's, let's be honest. Marriage works better if you can eat your food and not question whether you're getting poisoned. But I don't crave it for my soul. There's a reason why when things blow up in my life and I sin, things go crazy, I'll be like, in the moment, I'll be all emotional. But then literally catch me 10 minutes after any disaster. And I'll start to feel pretty good for the most part. Like there's a few things where I'll get all mopadopey because I'm forgetting that Jesus loves me. But it's very easy just to like get hit by something and say, you know what though? None of that even matters. Lose money. What does money matter? I sold something here one day to one of my friends and the money fell out of my pocket. 300 bucks. Just pew. Everyone's like, you lost $300? Let's go look for it. I was like, I wouldn't look for it. It's not there, but it doesn't matter. Because it's just money. Jesus is my security and my provider. Great. My kids are going into their teen years. For a solid 10 years, they're going to hate me and think I'm an idiot. I was like, it doesn't matter what you think. Mostly because when they're 24, they're going to apologize and remember that I'm the wisest man alive. But also because Jesus loves me with everything and he values me because he covered me and he covers you today. I pray that you would enter into this rest, that you would get off the spiritual treadmill, whether you're the moralist, legalist, or whether you're the self-discovery, I can find my own way. I need you to know there's a better way. It's not the checkboxes. It's not being the God of your own life. Both of those people are looking for something to save them. But there's a Savior who came for you, and he left it all out on the cross so that today you can come to him by faith. Jesus plus nothing equals everything you'll ever need. Let's pray. Father, you are good. And Lord, I, I am so freed from this cycle. And I pray that you would free people today, not that we would have a license to go and do what we want, because that turns it back to us again. But Lord, that we would have the, the table of our hearts tilted to love others, to love you, to care for the poor and the widows and the orphans, that we would be compelled because of joy to live for you with all that we are. And Lord, I pray for those in here struggling, those in here who are raised with a certain view of religion, that they have to do the right things, say the right things, be at the right places in order for you to love them. Lord, help them to know that you love them, not because of them, but because of Jesus. Help us all to know that, Lord. Help us to be freed of the religious things that try to confine us. I th thank you. Lord, I love you in Jesus' name. Amen.